I've been loving the comments that you leave. Are you hearing me okay? Is the audio okay? Yes. Okay, good. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, no, I appreciate you your interest in Middle Eastern food. I'm getting a kick out of your comments and um, and trying all of the the new things and and the rice pudding, for example. And it's been neat just kind of watching you try out all of these different dishes. Yeah, I plan on making the Lebanese nights eventually when I get some whipping cream. Um, we're supposed to have a snowstorm this weekend. Oh my goodness! Wait, where are you again? You're look. Are you where are you exactly? Akron, Ohio. Oh, it's freezing over there, right? Yeah, we Californians should just shut it because it's 37 today, this morning, and we, everyone was complaining how cold it was. I'm like, no, we're we're just such wimps over here. <laughs> I used to live in California about 11 years ago. I went to school out in LA. Uh huh. Um, about 14 years ago, I went to film school out there, and I stayed for three years. That's and then good. I came back home to help my aunt with my grandparents. Ah, you're so sweet. So, um, I lived in L.A., Redlands, and Orange, California, um, about 20 minutes away from um, Anaheim. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed it for what it was worth. Um, yeah. I was over the whole California thing like two months after arriving. <laughs> oh, really? You know what? I'm over the California thing. I'm investigating ways uh, other states we could move to. Only thing holding me back is taking care of my parents. So that's the only thing. Um, well, you're my first guest for my new podcast, Cooking with Chanel, The Visually Impaired Way. Um I wanted to kind of replicate the same formula I did for my language learning podcast uh-huh. um, that I have on Anchor as well. And I said, well, you know, I love cooking just as much as I love languages and anything else. Mm-hmm. And I said, I want to be able to interview people that, you know, cook in different ways from other parts of the world. And I like to learn about different cultures and people, and I grew up around um, a lot of Latinas and Italians and Asian people, and me being African-American, I said, you know, I, I, if I love languages, you know, why not learn how to cook some of the um, dishes from the countries from which I'm learning the languages, and right now I'm learning Levantine Arabic and Egyptian. Wow. Because we have a, a a large Arab population here, and a lot of them are from Lebanon, and a lot of them are from Egypt. Interesting. And so I like to go out and eat. So <laughs> I go to Latins quite a bit, and I will um, order food in um, Egyptian Arabic. You're and I actually went over. <laughs> You're amazing. Sorry, go ahead. So I I did that. Back in September, and the guy who was the cook in the back, he was from Lebanon. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I'm going to have to learn some Levantine Arabic. And so um, they they were so impressed by the little bit of Arabic I had mustered up to speak mm-hmm. that they invited me to come back to eat. And then they said, well, when our manager's here, you can speak some Arabic with him. I'm like, uh-huh. now I've... So I've cool. been to other restaurants. I've spoken in other languages. 
you know, to order food. But, I mean, I've been told to come back, but I've never had someone say to me, you can speak to our general manager in X language. Wow. Yeah, no, they're very impressed when somebody actually makes the effort because it's a very difficult language. And you don't understand, like, a little goes a long way. So I, I, it doesn't surprise me that they're just so excited to have you back and communicate with, with the manager. Yeah, because I was so, like, I love their food. Like, I always get their savor favor plate um, every time I go there. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it has the tabbouleh and the hummus and the pita bread and the falafel and the charred chicken and the um. little log beef log rolls with the rice. And mm-hmm. I'll eat that. And down by a, down, sorry about that, that my guide dog, Bono, who's my um, Labrador retriever, uh, every time I move, he gets up and moves. Oh, yeah. so sweet. Yeah, so, yeah, so that, that was my goal for last year was to be able to order food in different languages. And I ordered some food in Cantonese over the phone, some Thai at a Thai restaurant. Arabic twice. You are an amazing individual. I've never, I mean, astounding, astounding. Thank you're not you. even picking. You're not even picking the easy languages. You're picking like the hardest languages too. It's, it's yeah, awesome. I taught myself Russian in like two and a half years. What? Yeah. I was gonna go next. I'm like, watch you learn Russian, and you already learned. Russian. Well, it's actually, funny you say that because. My first, my, aside from English, my first language was American Sign Language. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom didn't know what to do with me, so she gave me to a friend of hers daughter, and she started teaching me American Sign Language at age five. Amazing. I became fluent, but then when you don't use it, you kind of forget a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And so then I learned Spanish in college by force. It wasn't by choice. <laughs> and... Uh, I became fluent in that, and then I taught myself um, Russian like five years ago. You're, so. you, you definitely have a knack. Like, it's a gift, honestly. I mean, it definitely is a gift. Yeah. So uh, now I'm like, I like want to learn. I want to um, at least be, uh, I would say, B1, B2 in Levantine Arabic by next year, speaking mm-hmm. it. Not mm-hmm. so much. I, I want to read in it or I want to write it. I just want to be able to communicate. Let, let me give you a confession. I do not read nor write Arabic. I speak Arabic because mm-hmm. that was my first language. Mm-hmm. There are no schools here, so that's about it. I, 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 I know how to read and write uh, and speak Spanish because I went to school for that. But other than that, that's it. Like, I can't read or write. I think... I think communicating in Arabic is so, like, I've been to the Middle East so many times. Just speaking it is good enough for me. I don't need to, like, read any signs. I get a lot around well enough just by speaking, honestly. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I dabble in the polyglot community, and so it's like people sit there and it's like, well, how can you learn these languages so quickly? I was like, well, think about what you say or how you communicate in that that language in your daily life. So if your target language is English and you talk about sports and politics and religion, then study those topics. Right, right. You don't have to know it all. You just have to be able to talk about a variety of different things that you would talk about normally. 
Right. And I, I think that's the yeah. problem. Everybody wants to be perfect when they speak. Oh, the people don't have time for that. They want to know no. what you want. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Just like if I'm in a grocery store, I need to know the food and how much this costs in order for me to be able to ask, do you have this? <laughs> you know, so, Absolutely. I mean, but people don't think that that's, like, important. I was like, oh, that's important. Like, if you go somewhere, you need to know how to order food in that language. Mm-hmm. Someone studied Chinese for, like, five, six years, went over went over to China and didn't know how to order food. <laughs> I'm like, how do you not know? Oh, wow. Yeah, they love it when you order food in Chinese, too. They're, like, they're, especially, like, you know, from a non-Chinese person, they go mm-hmm. ballistic. They go absolutely ballistic. They get so excited. Yeah, because yeah, I did mango for Cantonese. They had a basic Cantonese, just the introductory Cantonese, mm-hmm. and I did it for six weeks, and I turned around, and they were, like, I went to go pick up the phone and order me some food, and I wanted some barbecue beef bun. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have barbecue beef bun because this was American Chinese food. This wasn't from Hong Kong specifically. <laughs> and then they told me that it was from Hong Kong that I wanted that particular. And we started laughing because I didn't know that. So well, See, I don't know that either. You just taught me something. So Yeah, so I was just like, and I ordered it, and I gave my telephone number, address in Cantonese. Wow. And a lot of it is how much time you put into it, though. Right. So, and just like when I'm cooking, I like to take my time. I don't like to rush it. So if someone says this takes 20 or 25 minutes, I add an extra 10 or 15 minutes because I know it might take a little longer. Amen, sister. That's why I don't do do those competitions that everybody keeps telling me to do on Food Network. I'm like, that takes away the whole reason why I do what I do. Right. I don't do it for competition. I don't do it to beat someone. I do it because it's like sharing my culture. It's a totally different vibe, you know. How did you get started? Like, um, where are we, are we doing the interview right now? Or are we just, mm-hmm. oh, we are. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I pretty much go no holds bar. So oh, wow. like I, it's, it's more of a conversation. Cool. Yeah. How did I get started? That's an excellent question. You know, I, I'm not sure if you know about my background, but I was a journalist for many years. So I did more hardcore journalism in the beginning, and then I went to entertainment. And then when I was doing the entertainment segments, I found that I really had a knack for any food-related segments. So when I'd go interview chefs or go to restaurants and learn techniques, that type of thing, mm-hmm. I was the total foodie, and I didn't even know it <laughs> because I knew all this obscure stuff that other people didn't know, and I was like, you know, I after I had my second child, I, I didn't want to do that grind anymore because I wanted to raise my children. So I thought, you know, I've got all the, this treasure of recipes from my mom and from my grandmother. Mm-hmm. A lot of these recipes you cannot get in culinary schools. They are like village oriented. Some of them are literally a couple of thousand years old, like passed down from generation to generation. Right. Let me write a cookbook. As I'm a journalist, I can write. Let me write this down. But then I missed the television aspect of it, and I I like the communication. So I thought, let me uh, try doing a cooking show out of my kitchen because YouTube was on the rise, and I thought, this is awesome. There's no gateway. There's no nobody telling me I can't do this. 
and I'll just put it up and see what happens. And that's really what, what how it all began. Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah. it yeah, into a completely different direction. Yeah, I because I was looking for, like, Middle Eastern, uh, you know, cooking shows, and I found yours, and I'm like, Oh, that's wow. great. <laughs> I was like, she's American. Oh, my God. Like, this is totally cool. And, and I, yeah. I was like, I, and it's kind of funny because um, I, when I had made last weekend or the weekend before last, when I had made the um, chicken shawarma, mm-hmm. and because I made it the same way that Atlantans made theirs mm-hmm. um, with the with the onions and the tomato. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any cucumber to make the cucumber, um, the cucumber and tomato um, salad. So I just said, I'll do it this way. And I took it and I I took a picture and I posted it on this Lebanese cooking um, page that I'm a part of. And I've been posting there to get feedback from people. And everyone's like, that is so good. Like I actually made, um, Saba, Saleb. Uh-huh. And um, I made that and shared it with my friend over the weekend, and she was like, this is so good. And, I, you know, I I used my friend as the guinea pig. <laughs> that's that's how you do, you know. That's what, that's what I do. I use friends and family as guinea pigs, especially if I make too much. I start giving it out. What do you guys think? Give me your feedback. Right. And, and – and I, someone was like, well, why don't you write a cookbook? Why don't you do this? And I said, well, hello? Yeah, I'm listening. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. So my friends were like, why don't you write a cookbook? Because you're always cooking something. I mean, <laughs> I was making, like, banana pudding, and I was making, like, pots of, like, spaghetti. Like, I would make my sauce in the crock pot. Wow. And I would use, like, ground turkey instead of ground beef, and I would use turkey sausage, or I would use chicken, or, you know, and then I would say, well, if you want to make pot roast, do it in the crock pot, cover it a little bit, don't cover it too much because it's going to shrink anyway, and then put cream of potato soup over it, and all, you know, your carrots, your onions, and whatever else you're going to do, and then let it, let it cook. Mm-hmm. And I say, I let mine cook for, like, 24 hours on low, and it'd fall apart mm-hmm. and get nice and tender. And everyone's like, that is so good. I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it's great. I mean, it's, it's I mean, because if you want a shortcut and you don't want to have to cut uh, uh, potatoes, just get cream of potato soup, mm-hmm. you know, and do it that way. And my friend was like, you do it the same way I do. And I'm like, yeah. I, I mean, you have to be creative because I, I have a theater background. Um, I graduated from Kent with a theater, BA in theater studies. Mm-hmm. And um, I also have a film background. So for me, I'm a very creative person. And when it comes down to food and stuff, I'm like, you know, I want to eat what I want to eat. But if it looks good, I want to learn how to make it. Right, right. And 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 cooking is a creative outlet. It's definitely top. For, for me, if I live this high-stress life, I found that cooking is a way to just kind of relax and and it's super it's multisensorial so you get you know the smells and you get the action and the tasting and and it fulfills like all those needs that's why sometimes when i'm done cooking i'm not even hungry cuz i'm satisfied just from the process right <laughs> so, 
I actually enjoy other people's food more than my own, and people tell me they enjoy my food more than their own. There's something about like cooking for others that satisfies my my need for for that that I don't know that culinary um, tasting of it all. It's, it's weird. Yeah, my friend said, "Well, you should go to culinary school. Your cooking is really good. You remind me of Christine Ha." And I'm like, Christine Ha, which I would love to get on my show. Oh my god. Um, she was the, the, the lady who was totally blind that was on MasterChef in the third season and she won it. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, yeah, and, and Gordon Ramsay was just blown away by her cooking. That's awesome. You know, and there, there's I, no excuses. You know, if people say I can't cook, they just look to her. They should look to her for inspiration and you, you know? Yeah, I, it, it's kind of funny because, like, I, at the beginning of the year, I said, I'm going to create a new podcast show, and I didn't know what it was going to be about, and um, I said, well, I might as well do cooking, because, I mean, I have, like, another three or four ideas for different podcast shows I want to, I want to do, just because I love podcasting, and it's free. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, because I have other, other hobbies and interests, like Star Trek and, and movies and uh that you know I enjoy talking about um I do enjoy talking about politics to some extent but at, I, yeah. at, at, the, at the same time you know I could go on about what's going on in the Middle East or what's going on in Asia or what's going on here there and everywhere and how I feel about it mm-hmm. but but um at the end of the day I, I guess with me food is food sports um entertainment is something that's cultural and, and everybody can enjoy. You know, I mean, I don't see anyone getting, you know, having a fight over somebody's hamburger. <laughs> right. That's yeah. why I called my show Feast in the Middle East to rhyme with peace in the Middle East because I said right. you can't fight around the dinner table. That's time to be civil with one another and to right. share in each other's uh, cultures, you know. Yeah, and I and that was another thing I told people. I was like, I don't like speaking Spanish that much. I like singing to it, and I like the dancing and the food mm-hmm. more so than I do. Okay, I want to have a conversation in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> however, there, there's something about eating some flan or having, um, um, like you know, grilled chicken and. Um, a, a burrito with no queso in it. Right. I'm, but depending on who's making it, whether it's you know Puerto Ricans or Mexicans or someone from Colombia, everyone has their own unique flavor as to how they make it, and and you get to learn about their culture. You know, because people think that if if it's Latin America, everybody's the same, and that's not true. True. You know, even the language changes in the vocabulary based off of who, you know, what part of the the world they live in and what part of, you know, the Spanish-speaking world they're from. And, um, you know, I just, for me, I said, well, you know, I if I taught myself how to make Olivier salad and borscht, and I can teach myself how to make all these um, uh, Lebanese dishes. That that says something. Now, mind you, I did make uh, what did I make? I made a um, Indian 
rice pudding that Gordon Ramsay had on his YouTube channel. The only thing I didn't do was do the lemon zest. And he had put eggs in his to make the, 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 the to make it thicker. But aside, yeah. besides that, like I made the entire thing and it tasted like a chai tea. Oh, that sounds awesome. Well, see, that that's the thing. is so You could take something like rice pudding, which is like a blank canvas, and then the Indians will add their spices. Arabs will add rose water. Uh, Hispanics do it their way. You know, like it, it, you, you take something like that and then you learn so much about each individual culture just based on, on what they add to it. It gives you a window into their history and what spice routes were available to them and what ingredients were available to them. So that's why it's, it's really fun, uh, to learn about people through food. Oh yeah. And I, I mean, that, that is one thing that I, I love to do is, entertain people and cook different types of food i mean now mind you you do have people that are diabetic and they have high blood pressure right i know someone that's actually allergic to sumac oh no that's that's sad i'd hate to be allergic to sumac (laughs) yeah i just actually ordered like 70 dollars worth of middle eastern spices and ingredients oh wow so i could so i could cook Certain things I got to have some ghee, and I needed some salalina, and some sumac, and some cedar, and I, pistachios, and um, cardamom or cumin. So yeah, I I did that online, and I'm just waiting for it to arrive. <laughs> <laughs> and then I ordered me a a, a mortar pesto. Yeah. Today. You so have I did, basics, really. Sounds like it. Yeah, I the only thing I don't have are the the cookie molds. The cookie molds, you can get those I think for I know Amazon sells cookie molds. What I'd really love to be able to do is to merchandise that stuff myself if I could get an access access to people that make it in the Middle East and then be able to bring it to American. Uh, I would love to do that so that, that you can participate in making mamul and all that good stuff. Because I was going to make my mold, but I didn't know if you could actually, like, just make it just to have any time, or is it just for a particular holiday? You know, something like my mold, we reserve for particular holidays because they are pretty time-intensive. Right. So, you know, we usually do it assembly line. It's it's pretty tribal. You know, you get the family together, and each one has a role to play. One person rolls out the dates. One person shapes the cookies. One person, you know, like, everyone has a role. And and you make you, when you sit down and make these cookies, you're not making like a dozen. You're making like sixty, even a hundred, because like we'll make them like Christmas, and then uh, when families come and visit one another, you always have mamul ready for them. And likewise, when you go to their house, they have it ready for you. Uh, so it, it's definitely very. Uh, it, it's a time-intensive cultural cookie. So that's why I developed a mamul cake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on my channel where I take those flavors and I put it into a cake. Cause like you, I craved it off season and I didn't want to make 60 or hundred cookies. I just wanted something to enjoy. And so it's shaped like, a, like I put it in a bunt mold. So it's shaped right. like the, yeah. And then I use the date paste as the filling and I put mahlab, which is a cherry kernel powder that gives it that unique flavor. I put that in the batter of the cake. 
Okay. So, so I came up with different ways to kind of streamline it for today's busy cook if they want to enjoy it off season. There's no rule. You could make it any time, but it would be nice if you had, you know, people to help you out making it because it, it, it could take a long, long time. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I, I sat there and I said, I want to make that. And I didn't <laughs> even know, I didn't even know, like, if you could just buy them. Oh, yeah, you could buy it. You could definitely buy it. If you go to any Middle Eastern market, they have individually wrapped mamouls. Absolutely. It's not going to taste the same as home homemade, but if you get them, like, fresh, you know, at, at a store that has high turnover, mm-hmm. make sure that the expiration date isn't off. You could buy some really tasty mamouls in the store, and they're oh. I think they're delicious. So Yeah, because I've never tried it, and I wanted to try it, and, like, I actually asked, the, the, um, the Latins that I went to recently, I said, do you guys have Zeta fries? And they were like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, and I was like, oh, I need to learn how to make these. Because I saw it on somebody's channel, and I was like, I want to make those. Those look good. I, <laughs> That's awesome. I love your curiosity for all these new flavors and textures. Um that, that 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 could be done at home, no problem. And and you know you can make mamul yourself. It just might take a weekend to do it. <laughs> right. I mean, because like for me personally, I find cooking to be very therapeutic. It is. So when I'm cooking something like yesterday, yesterday I was uh, making me some chili in my rice cooker. People don't realize that you can cook other things in a rice cooker other than. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah, yes, you can. So I threw it all together, my spices and all that. And, and, um, cause I have, I actually cleaned out a drawer, believe it or not, just to put all my Middle Eastern spices in that drawer. Uh huh. And then I have another, another cabinet where it's just everything else. Right. <laughs> and so my aunt was like, you're really obsessed with this. I was like, okay, you see my pictures on Facebook, whether it's good or bad. Right. You know, and I tell people that, too. Why don't you put your mistakes up online? That shows that you made an attempt to make it, regardless of if it came out messed up or not. You still tried. Like, you know where you went wrong, and you know to correct it the next time. But if all people see is the perfect result at the end, they don't know how hard it was for you to do it the first time that's true that's a good point because i noticed that like even in the language learning community people put up all these videos of them speaking after so many months but they don't ever put up the videos where they were messing up to show okay this is the progression from where i started to where i am today right and, and then people think that oh well i can become fluent in six months no you can become conversational in six months, depending on the language and how much time you put into it. But that does not mean that you're going to be and, – and my idea of fluent is, okay, I'm able to talk about a variety of different situations. I'm not trying to teach in the language. Like, I want to teach accounting in, in Arabic. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I suck at math, so no. Um that's not what I want to do. I mean, I just want to have a conversation with people and be able to talk about a variety of different things, not. Right. I want to go to the University of Lebanon and start teaching economics. Mm-hmm. No. And I think that's where people get confused with that. Um, 
you know, and I think some of it does lend to other areas that people are fascinated by. Yeah. Um, they think they have to be perfect at everything. And I was like, well, you can become better at what you do, but that doesn't mean it's always going to be perfect. One minute you're going to make something that's really good, and then you're going to turn around a few weeks later and make the same thing, and it might not turn out the way you did three weeks prior. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, yeah. now, I'm just curious, like, when you go over to, like, uh, the Middle East, I mean, have you gone to any other countries other than Palestine? I've been to Jordan, so, and I'd really, my, my goal is to go to Lebanon next. I'd really like to go to Lebanon. Um, but, yeah, I've been to Jordan and to Palestine, basically. And, uh, yeah, and I'd love to go to Egypt, too, someday. That, that doesn't look, yeah, Egypt would be fantastic. But, yeah, I still have to save up and, and figure out how to how to go there and, and get my ducks all lined up because I'd really like to do, like, really get representations, not just from restaurants, but from grandmas, you know, in their kitchens because that tells right. a lot about the food. Right. So it, it takes some prep. So, yeah. Yeah, because I saw the one video where you were over in Palestine and they had made the uh, Macaluba, I think it was. Yeah, Macaluba, yep. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, and and I was like, ooh, I need to make that eventually. Oh, it's it's a fun one. It's it's a celebratory dish. It's it's a very social dish. So when you flip it upside down, everybody gathers around and gets their portion, and it's definitely it, it brings families together. There's a lot of drama in this dish, which is. I was rewatching it before I I was rewatching it for I don't know the millionth time already. And I'm like, dude, I want to get okay. Let me make sure I have this. Okay, tomatoes, chicken, rice, <laughs> onion, cauliflower. Okay, I I got almost everything minus the chicken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean they're easy to find ingredients, which is really cool about it. And it's funny you mentioned that because after that there were so many people. That were like, I need to make this. And people that haven't made it ever before, and I'm talking about Palestinians who never even bothered to make it, that have been living in America all their lives, didn't make it. Because they're like, you know what, that's just too much, too much trouble. And all of a sudden they're making it and they're using my cookbook to make it. Uh, and they're sending me these pictures, these mouth-watering pictures, and I'm so impressed. I'm like, seriously, you've never made this before? Nope. They're like, nope. I saw your video. I got the cookbook. I'm doing it, and that's it. I'm going to make it from now on. I'm like, that's fantastic because that's how you keep the culture alive. It's very yeah. important. You know, and it's so funny because I was telling my 92-year-old grandma about the Lebanese rice pudding, and um, she doesn't really eat a lot of food that isn't Americanized. Now, I mean, she'll have, like, she'll she'll have, like, bratwurst, and she'll have, like, uh, Chinese food and, and stuff like that, and, and African-American soul food, but when it comes down to anything else, maybe some Italian food, anything past that, you can forget it. So she's not very adventurous like you. Right. Well, I mean, it is kind of funny because we have so many different um ethnicities in my family uh like i have like a quarter irish in my bloodline like 30 percent bantu tribe from west um, africa 
mm-hmm. um, African Americans, some Cherokee Indians, some Blackfoot Indian. Um, there's one part of my family's German with some more Irish, um, Mexican, um, Puerto Rican, Chinese. So we have a, a multitude of different ethnicities in our family. And for us, it's like, you know, a lot of it, we love food. Yeah. <laughs> I love well, that. That same with my family. They're pretty obsessed with food. <laughs> They're all, every time I turn around, someone's cooking something. Absolutely. Oh, the, your family sounds just like mine. Yeah, and it's it's funny because like you'll go over to that to their house and be like, "Hey, do you want me to bring something? No, just bring yourself and whoever else you want." And I'm like, oh. right. you know, and it. I mean, I think that's the one thing that really got me to say I want to interview people who have, you know, who are doing this and they're they're doing it, you know, because they love it. You know, they love food and. And, you know, I remember I was watching one of your videos and you had said, well, you don't have to go to culinary school. And I'm like, yeah, you yeah, know. yeah, you know, you don't, you don't, uh, you know, culinary school is great for the techniques and learning all the base, the basis for sauces and knife techniques and all that good stuff. What I'm doing is, I guess you could call it the Middle Eastern version of soul food because right. it's got deep roots. Right. And 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 it comes from a place of love. It comes from a place of actually scarcity too. Like a lot of the recipes come from the need to uh, to make do with what they have. Like mujaddara, for example, right? That's like oh, a, yeah. poor, a poor man's dish. It's lentils and rice. Right. But what they manage to do with it, turn it into this flavor gasm with you know caramelized onions and which are cheap too, by the way. Right. And a salad is and it's just like comfort food from a, a place of poverty. Right. And this is not, you know, this isn't like hoity toity like fancy French cuisine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So there's a lot there's a lot of depth and you can't I'm not not to knock culinary school, but nobody should ever feel bound by that and and you could do a lot without going to culinary school. Yeah, and I, I told someone that. I said, I taught myself how to cook, but, you know, I want to find a recipe. Okay, if I don't eat mushrooms, okay, fine. I won't put them in there. If there's certain things I don't eat, I won't put it in there. Right. Um, and and I figured out how to, like, make my own spaghetti sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't ever buy jar sauce. I'll take a can of, like, diced tomatoes like the real small diced tomatoes and put those in there and then I'll put some tomato paste and I'll put all my seasonings Mm -hmm. and then I'll put a little bit of water just to thicken it up and I'll cook it that way perfect and people are like oh my gosh this is so good I was like well why would you want to buy a jar of this when you can make to whatever taste you like I mean and I put a little bit of everything in there right some Creole seasoning, paprika, uh, crushed red pepper, Italian, oregano, basil. And, of course, you have to realize when you're putting oregano and basil, it's only a pinch. Right. <laughs> because it's so powerful. It is. It's unreal. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I learned from trial and error with oregano. 
Yeah. No, I love oregano too, but yeah, it can be quite powerful, especially if you use fresh. And, and then I'm, I I got on the turmeric kick recently, and I realized uh, I only need a half a teaspoon of this because it's very potent. Mm-hmm. And if you have too much of it, woo, <laughs> you're going to really taste it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Just like I, when I had made the um, the garlic, the garlic rice, garlic butter rice. And I, I tried to make a shortcut by making the rice in the freaking rice cooker. And it came out a little mushy. And uh, people were like, that looks, it looks really good, but. It kind of looked a little. That's because I was trying to put it in the in the skillet with the rest of the ingredients, you know. And I I cooked. I put lentils in mine, but I had to cook those separately on the stove for 15 minutes so they can be soft. Um, I don't know why, but I'm on this lentil kick, so I think I need, you know. (laughs) No problem with lentils, you know. And I even I even made a vegetable curry where I had lentils and then I had um. Um, stir fry vegetables and mm-hmm. rice with the curry and some coriander, some cumin, some salt, pepper, some garlic, and that was a meal. Yeah, oh yeah, that's filling, very filling. Right. And and someone said, "You really can cook," and I said, "Well, thank you." Like I made, I actually on New Year's Eve, that's what I had. I had, I had the garlic rice, but I cooked it with the rice inside of the the skillet. And did it that it took a little longer, yeah, twenty five minutes, but it, it did work. And I cooked it before my friend came over, and when she walked in the door, she was like, "This smells so good! Oh my god!" And then I got some Texas toast. I get some Texas toast and threw that in the new wave oven for like ten minutes, and she was like, "Oh my god, this is so good!" I even gave her some to go home with. Oh, that's sweet of you. Your friends are very lucky. Yes, and my <laughs> friends love it when I make food for them, and I. I said, well, you know, I love cooking. I mean, I try to do it as healthy as I possibly can due to health issues of family having diabetes, high blood pressure, and cholesterol. And I said, I'm going to be 43, and I don't want that for myself. So I do a lot of fish, chicken, turkey um, when I'm cooking. I have a lot of beans and rice and some noodles. And, you know, I, I... I pretty much make stuff up as I go along, but I also find good recipes by people and say, let me try this and see how this is. And just like I, I finally found a Lebanese rice pudding and a friend of mine had some orange blossom water, which she just gave me the whole thing so I could have it. Nice. And I made, I made it and my friend, I gave her, I gave her, um, uh, some of it. And, you know, I told her, come in two hours once it all set and everything, because I put it in, in some bowls and I let it set and everything. And, and I picked it up like it was a patty. Because oh. it had formed. And and put it in a, a small container for her. And she said she was going to save half of it. And it did, that didn't wind up happening. She said that was so good. I was like, well, that was the first time I ever made it. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they're like, you could try something and and it's it's a pleasant surprise. Like you're like, oh wow, I don't even need to tweak it. This is this is awesome the first time around. Those are always fun, you know. Yeah, and I mean, I went to make sure that I found the right recipe because I didn't have uh, my lab at all. So, yeah, that's hard to find. That's hard to find. 
And because someone was going to send me some of that and some Mastodon. Mm -hmm. And I said, let me find one where I don't have to use that. But I said I will eventually buy it because you can't find it on Amazon. Oh, you can't. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can find it. I found it. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I found it. I just didn't buy it yet. I'm, I'm still waiting for my packages to come. They're supposed to be here sometime today. Oh, today, okay. tomorrow, and Friday, because my cardamom wasn't here. Um, they had to send it back because the bottle was broken. Oh. And then they had to refund me for my um, orange blossom water because that was broken. Oh, no. And they, and they didn't have any more. So they had to give me my money back. So I'm like, okay, I'll wait and get some more. I mean, I still have some that my friend gave me. But I will say, you know, I'm I'm really um, excited to make some semolina rolls. Oh, semolina rolls? Yeah. Well, I guess um, there's these Lebanese rolls, and they're made of semolina. Oh. Oh, do they have cheese on the inside? I think. Okay, I th I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's like, and they have syrup on it. I think so. Yeah. But you can make them, and they're small. Like you can make them small, and. Right. Yeah, yeah. I I know what you're talking about. I know. Yeah. Wow, you're really like you're going to be cooking better than most most Arabs. I kid you not. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, and it's kind of funny because right now I'm, I'm on this kick of everything Middle Eastern and, um, I guess because when I was little, uh, my mom had, um, uh, got me used to learning about Asian culture and African culture. And then I took a world history class just because I wanted to, not for anything in particular. Mm -hmm. And I, my favorite parts of world history were the Middle East. Asian history and Russian history mm -hmm. and I just I don't know I just I guess because I'm a minority myself I kind of like gravitate to minorities especially minorities that have been oppressed in a lot of ways mm -hmm. or been mistreated or they're misunderstood you know because of other reasons that have nothing to do with them as a people you know pretty much I mean like I tell people, not everyone that's, that's, you know, um, of Arab heritage is a terrorist, you know? Yeah, I know. It takes some decoding. There's been a lot of damage, you know, sadly. Yeah. yeah. And I, I said, you know, I'm a people person. I love being around all kinds of people. And, you know, if I can walk into a place and have my guide dog and, say a little bit of their language and people just go crazy whether they're from Iraq or Yemen or um I accidentally spoke Russian with someone that was from Iran and I didn't know that they were from Iran I thought that they were from Russia <laughs> and 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 they're lovely they're they were like the greatest you know people on the face of the planet they they introduced me to this one pastry that was it was an apple pastry it was a cake and it had apple in between it oh yum and I was like, I never got to get the recipe from her, but she made it and it was so good. And I, I've never been more welcomed mm -hmm. by people like that before. And 
so for me, it was just like, I want to know more. I want. Yeah, you, know. you picked up on hospitality is really big part of it. Yeah, and it's a huge part. someone told me from Morocco, it was like, well, if you come to the Middle East, you wouldn't be shunned. Trust me. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at yeah. all. Yeah, and I, I said, I was like, you know, I would love to go to Palestine. I, I, the only thing I would be terrified of is the, you know, the fighting that's still going on every once in a while, you know, here. Yeah, you know, it's not as bad. Like, it, it sounds worse on the news than what it's actually like. And um, they're really, like, in Palestinian territories in particular, you'd be totally mm-hmm. safe. And they, they're yearning for Americans and for tourists in general. Mm-hmm. There's even an African part in Jerusalem um, and the Palestinian side. There's, like, mm-hmm. a african neighborhood i'm not sure if you know about it but you can right now uh, uh, a gentleman actually put up some videos about his trek over there and it was really cool he went into the, the the palestinian african neighborhood and hung out with the families there and it was really cool oh that's awesome yeah absolutely you, you it, it's up on youtube i should send you the links you know what i'll send you the links afterwards so you can check it out Oh, that's awesome. Cause like, I, I know for me personally, when you were, when they were cooking the maluba, makluba, um, in outside, I was like, really? <laughs> They're making this outside. That's like freaking awesome. It, it almost looked like street food. Oh, it is. It's like, it was, <laughs> she had her like, it was like an outdoor kitchen. If you could imagine, it's like a park. And she mm-hmm. had a an outdoor kitchen uh, that was covered, and she was making this delicious food like outdoors and presenting it to us outdoors. It's it's sort of like a community, yeah. It's like a community park basically, and it was a nice little escape because that particular city, Hebron, is fraught with so much oppression. It's unbelievable. I mean, you could cut the oppression with a knife. It was a very rough place to be in. I mean, I didn't feel in danger, but I just saw how acutely painful their situation was. And so when you go to this park and you escape from it all, it's just a nice little oasis. And this woman was so loving and just loved having us there and was just thrilled that we were, you know, gushing over her food and her hospitality. It was just a beautiful, it was just a beautiful thing. It was a wonderful afternoon. I felt very lucky to be a part of it. Now, do you, when you travel to these places, I mean, do you go with like a team of people? Do you go with family or friends? Or? Uh, yeah, this, these particular trips uh, are, are delegations uh-huh. where I take I lead, I actually lead these delegations for basically for uh, government officials, for clergy, mm-hmm. and uh, for uh, professors. And so I take them to the other side to show them just like the Palestinian side because that side is pretty much hidden. And so our hope is that when they come home, they can talk to their spheres of influence about both sides, not just one side. Oh, that's awesome. So one of the people that I took, he was a the president of the NAACP, and he actually started breaking down in Hebron because it rem- reminded him of the Jim Crow days of, of the United States. 
Oh, wow. It's a very powerful moment where we connected with one another with this common bond of uh, just, you know, dealing with that kind of oppression. And he had gone to Jerusalem before with a group, but he didn't never got to experience the Palestinian side, and, and it was hidden from him. And he was so, so brilliant in his own way. He's like, I am, the truth is being hidden from me, and I need to see it. And so when he came to us, we're like, oh, we'd be more than happy to show you the other side. And so now he has a distinct, a distinct understanding of both sides and why that other side was hidden from him. He understands it fully now. Wow. Um, yeah. He was, a, he's a reverend, uh, amazing, amazing man, um, that oh, wow. I connected with. So yeah. How long have you been doing this for? Oh, just a couple of years. That's it. Not very long. Yeah, I, you know, it's so funny because someone um, asked me, he's like, well, have you been out the country? I was like, well, Toronto, Canada, that counts for anything. Um, But as far as like past Canada, no. Um, I I mean, that's a lot of it's a financial thing. You have to have, uh, you know, special ID now. Mm-hmm. If you don't drive, which I have to get, they, uh, you have to, you know, have your passport and that's a couple hundred dollars. Right. And, you know, you, for me, it's a little bit more tricky because I have a guide dog. So I got to look up all the laws, the rules, you know, if my dog is going to be accepted in that country. Yeah. Know, my situation, because I'm visually impaired with limited vision. What that would be like, I look at all that before I step out the door. Yeah, it's very tricky. Um, I and I understand uh, what you your those are very valid points that you bring up, especially because in Israel, like when you go there, there's a lot to navigate in the airport because yeah. there's so many levels of security, right. so many, both going in and going out, and I find it hard to navigate even without being visually impaired. So I could only imagine what it would be like. But there must be some some ways uh, that they – I would hope. I mean, I haven't looked into this, but I would hope that there are some uh, travel agencies that specialize in this kind of thing. Um, I don't know if you've looked into that at all, but uh, especially with the, where the Middle East is concerned. Uh I, I would think that it should be there, – there must be something. I, I should look into to that for you and see. Yeah, because yeah, I know that there are blind people that are travel agents and that work as travel agents. But, I mean, I've known people to go – like totally blind people to go to, like, Mexico and Japan and Australia, anywhere with us westernized. Yes. Yeah, I've not known anybody yet to go to the Middle East um, as a guest. I mean, I know someone that went with their family back in September, and okay. she's and she's totally blind, and she has uh, Middle Eastern roots. And she said when she went to Egypt, she would ask the men questions, and uh. she would just be ignored. And I said, uh, "You do know that." Uh, 
there's a way that you have to speak to them. <laughs> right, right. And then some some Muslim uh, men, out of respect, won't talk to her. You right. know, like there's, you know, like there's certain levels of decorum, religion-wise too, that can kind of complicate things further. Right. I yeah. mean, because that's the first thing that I I learn when I'm learning a new language is okay, how do they speak formally? Because you don't know these people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if you don't know the difference between estes and stes, yeah, <laughs> you know, okay, you need to know estes is sir and stes is is ma'am. And let me be in Arabic. Um, you know, th- there is, you know, it is is the ending for female and ak is ending for male and right. you know, there's you know inti inti is 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 female and inta is male and into is plural and but if you don't know this i know i'm impressed with what you know actually that's pretty awesome you know i mean and it's funny because i don't think necessarily to learn the grammar like instinctively but i mean you can't help it when you have to actually explain to somebody Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm still at the beginning stage, like the A1 level stage, because um, I've been so busy trying to cook <laughs> the food right. that I haven't. I mean, I've learned certain words, you know, that that mean certain foods. And like I belong to a whole bunch of different polyglot groups and I'll sit there and say, well, this is what I did this week. You know, I, I learned how to make this. I made this. You know, um, I learned more vocabulary in my target language. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, because I look at it as when I'm cooking the food, I'm becoming more closer to the language and the culture and its people right. by cooking. And so for me, it's a different way to learn something as opposed to I need to be in a textbook. And I don't believe that you learn from a textbook. Um, right. You know, I want to be able to talk to you, not... Uh, like have a philosophical conversation about uh, it's a it's a very i mean it just shows like you just have such a high level of emotional intelligence that not a lot of people have sadly because they just think it's kind of cookie cutter like just go and you can figure it out and the the, the thing is that it's so much more nuanced than that and like you're learning about the whole entire culture which is which is admirable that you're taking that extra step because that helps navigate new waters a lot easier than just, you know, okay, I need to learn how to call a taxi or that you, you, like you, you, you are learning like the nuanced ways of communicating um, and how, how food can help you. You know, if you go to a restaurant and, and you talk to somebody in Arabic, you're going to get, uh, you're going to get a much bigger reaction than just going to a restaurant not knowing the language at all. Right. So it, it, it's, it's just very different. It's a yeah. very different way of approaching travel, which I think is, is incredible that you're doing all that. I mean, uh, I mean, I did learn the Lebanese uh, alphabet. I mean, I still have to, like, remember the different ha forms. Mm-hmm. This is, like, about three or four of them. Right. But, I pretty much got the rest of it, and then I'm like, oh, well, this is easy. I learned this in, like, three minutes. But at the same time, too, I said, well, I'm going to have to learn the Braille code at some point um, because if I want to read, like, Harry Potter 
in Arabic, which I found on Pottermore. Um, and I'm waiting for Audible to put it, put the audiobooks on, um, in Arabic of Harry Potter on Audible. They have them in Japanese now, mm-hmm. but they don't have them in, in, in Arabic yet. And I'm, I'm just waiting for them to do that. Oh, um, amazing. So I can listen to them. And people are like, is that the only book you read? I'm like, no, but do you even understand, like, how cool that is to actually hear something? <laughs> and I mean, because I have Harry Potter in a lot of different languages, and I kind of look at the languages and see what the comparisons are. You know, do they use this word for this? Or I mean, I'm the, I'm a geek like that, and so I mean, I, I like other books. Mm-hmm. Like I'm reading Les Misérables in French. Amazing. And like I understand French, Dutch, German, Italian. Um, I can speak. English, American Sign Language, Russian, Spanish, French, Dutch, Italian. French, Dutch, and Italian to probably a conversational level. I'm probably a lot further with French, Dutch, and Italian, like almost B1. Um, But my comprehension level is way higher than my speaking. You're a prodigy. (laughs) And then I'm, I'm basic in Hindi, Cantonese. Um, I learned the basics of Japanese, mm-hmm. um, which I'm still trying to get to a conversational level because I, I like to order food in other languages. So I, that's my goal is to go to a Japanese restaurant and order some food in Japanese. Um, I did do it in Thai, which was fun. And I learned how to do that in like 20 minutes. My friend was driving and I was telling her to be quiet so I can do that. <laughs> And I just went into the place and I started speaking Thai to the people and kind of find out the chick was from Hollywood, California. And I used to live there and she lived like 20 minutes away from where I used to live. And she invited, wow. me, to, she invited me to this Buddhist event at her temple and her, and I was like, and my friend was like, how the heck did you manage to get that type of invitation? Well, because I spoke a little bit of their language. It's amazing what you can, the, the doors that open when you know how to communicate with people on their, on, in their language. It's really and amazing. And it's, it's funny because I'm, I studied film, so I have a degree in film and directing, producing, screenwriting, and I, I love watching movies from other countries. And so when I'm able to learn a, a nice chunk of the language to where I can follow a TV program or a movie, and then I'm like, well, I can transcend this. So let me let me see what kind of food they got, you know? Right, what right. Can, what can I make? Like my friend bought me a wok for Christmas, which I haven't used yet. But you know, I plan on making Japanese food too at some point. So it's like right now my mind is on the east. So I learned some Turkish, some Hindi, some Japanese, Thai, and Cantonese last year, just the basics. Uh-huh. And then uh, I learned the basics. Little, no big deal. <laughs> yeah, like entry level basic. Yeah. And then um, a little bit of Greek, Finnish, and Icelandic, which I forgot a lot of that. I mean, it was so basic, it was unreal. Mm-hmm. And then um, so I dabbled in that, and then I attempted the Scandinavian languages, the Danish, the Norwegian, and the Swedish. And I can understand all that, but I just, it wasn't for me. And so my only two real Western languages, three Western languages I enjoy, now let me take that back, four, um, Russian, 
Italian and French are my loves just for the West. Mm -hmm. And then the East is all the way from Turkey, all the way Swahili, India, the Middle East, Asia. Wow. So those are the languages that I really enjoy. I, I guess because I enjoy the East and, and their history and culture and is so old. Right. It's ancient. It's ancient. And so, like, it kills me on, on, in the news when they want to rally and, like, destroy civilizations like Iran, for example. I mean, these are ancient civilizations. They are so rich in history right. and culture and architecture. And, and it's just like, just people don't even think twice. Yeah, we just got to bomb and, and kill all these people there. It, it's heartbreaking. And what's so sad about it is that people in our own country don't realize this is the United States of America. It's not the divided States of America. Every country is represented in this country. And and I said, you know, if I could learn a little bit of this and a little bit of that and be able to communicate with people, I'll be a lot better off. (laughs) Right. Seriously. And and it's a cool way to make friends. Absolutely. Because, I mean, if I have to speak English to you all day, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, and I tell people that I feel more comfortable when I'm speaking another language than I do my own native tongue. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the English language, English literature and all that. Mm-hmm. But I just, I, it's something about someone else's culture that just fascinates me. It's like, I want to know. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. So, just like I want to know how to, you know, cook certain other sweets and because I have a sweet tooth, and if I if I can make it, if I have the ingredients and I can make it, oh well. You and me both. That's what I'm trying to get rid of my sweet tooth, but it's just too hard. <laughs> but I've I've learned to um actually it's this off brand of stevia slash Splenda is called um loose soaker. L o s e s U-C-A-R. It's like almost loose sugar. Interesting. But, like, if you go to, like, Save-A-Lot or, like, somewhere like that, um, you can find it. It's like an off-brand, but there's no aspartame. There's no calories in it. Wow. What's it made yeah. of? Uh, I don't remember, but I use it a lot. Hmm. I use it in my coffee. Um because I'm a coffee nut. Like, I, I do want to get me some Lebanese coffee and try it. Um, you know, if, if if you want, like, an easy hack for Lebanese, I mean, just get a nice, good, strong coffee that you like and add some cardamom to it. Oh. And a dash of nutmeg. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's something to think about if you want to try, you know, just try to make it your own, make, give yeah. it your own twist. So I just ordered me some cardamom offline. I do have a small thing of it, but I said I need to get certain spices that they want you to buy in bulk. And the little bit that they want you to buy is like 2 or $3. Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, forget it. Yeah, so, I mean, and it's, I'm just like, dude, I, I mean, if I could buy garlic in bulk. <laughs> do you have a, a world market? Firehouse, Cost Plus, they always have some spices for reasonable prices. And um, we, they, we do have a world market. Um, I can go up to it. It's on the bus line here in Akron. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they do have a world store up in here, and they do have a Whole Foods, too. 
Awesome. And also, if you want, like, authentic spices literally from Jerusalem, Sea of Herbs, it's a Palestinian company that's been around for, like, 400 years. <laughs> oh, wow. They're exceptional, and their prices are very reasonable, and they will literally ship it to your house, and it's always so exciting to get spices from them. I open up the box, and it smells like Jerusalem, you know? It, it's, like, the next best thing to traveling there, in my opinion. Oh, wow. It's yeah. so awesome. Yeah, because I, I, I said I wanted to get, um, cause tahini here is expensive. Just like for one jar of tahini, it's like $7.50. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, well, here it's even, it's California. It's just outrageous how expensive everything is. Oh, I remember, cause I remember spending uh, about $400 yeah. on groceries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to California. Yes. <laughs> Especially if you don't have food assistance and they give you extra money. Uh, for that and I learned to go to I don't even know if they still have fresh and easy there in California they, they closed that up uh, I think it went under because they used to have a bunch well at least I'm in Northern California that we yeah. used to have a bunch and um, they they disappeared unfortunately I love that store this store was my favorite place to go yeah it's, it's, it's a bummer it's a bummer that they I guess they just couldn't make ends meet because they were reasonable, so they closed up shop. It's kind of sad. Well, and I know people that go to the 99-cent store still. And oh. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, for me, it's all about, like, farmer's markets and Middle Eastern markets, and if you have a Middle Eastern market, right. hunt it down and go there because the turnover is better. It's, it's less expensive. Um, well, we have Middle Eastern stores here in Akron. It's on the other side of town, but I haven't been to that. I don't really travel to the east side of town that often. Uh-huh. And so I would literally have to have one of my friends with a car. Oh. Take, take me over there. And then I also would, I mean, and I understand for religious purposes, there are some people that cannot be around dogs. Right. So, I mean, under the ADA and everything, my guy dogs allowed to go everywhere, but I would, I don't know how that would. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what their specific rules. I mean, I would hope that they would be understanding of your situation. Right. Um, I know because I was, I was helping someone who was from the Middle East and, and, I, I don't know what part of the Middle East they were in, but they were completely clothed from head to toe. Oh. They were completely covered. Yeah. That, I mean, they could be from anywhere, really. They could be yeah. from Jordan. They could be from Egypt. There's not so much of that in Palestine. Um, right. You don't see too much of that there. Yeah. So, um, I mean, because they were, like, this one day they were in all black. So I didn't know if someone died. I Oh, no. I mean, when they wear the the... The uh, burkas, that's just, yeah, that's like a whole nother level. Well, yeah, I mean, they had their burkas on, but they were literally clothed. I mean, yeah, I mean, evidently it was hot as wet outside. But they were covered from head to toe, so I didn't know if they were from Iran, because I remember about that, the headdress from that. And I know that their their spouses came to pick them up and everything. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's pretty conservative sect then. Right, and then um, there was a one chick, she dressed like American, like everybody else. Oh. And she, and she was from Iran. Oh, wow. So, and she was cool with, with my guy, Dog Bono. 
But the other two, they weren't, they weren't, they were kind of scared. I see. So that's why I say I would want to call the store first. Yeah, that would be a good idea, I think, <laughs> just to just get your ducks in a row. Yeah, because, it, I mean. It, it never hurts to, yeah, definitely. I mean, because I've, I've been places where I've met people, and they're very, you know, they love dogs. You yeah, know, but then, but then there's certain people where because yeah, it, of their it's it's not just religion. It's more of like it's like a cultural thing. Like my my parent when I used to want a pet. Well, I'm allergic to everything. I'm allergic to dogs and cats. But definitely like in Middle Eastern countries, they don't tend to have house pets. They just don't. It's like a culturally they just they just don't. Um, and but you know, but then you have Arab Americans in the United States. They'll have pets. But it's just like culturally there, they just don't, they they just have a thing where they keep animals. Like when, when I went to that Mekluba, the outdoor park, she had, she had dogs, but they were outdoors. Like they had their pens and they were outside, not in the house. Right. So it's just an interesting, it's just a different dynamic. Right. Cause I know that like someone asked me, well, do you have to have a guide dog? And I said, well, for me, um, it's, it's a little bit more easier. I'm able to get around obstacles better, um, cross the street a lot more safely. Um, I mean, because ever since losing a lot of my distance vision seven years ago, um, due to reading um, a lot of print um, mm-hmm. for a short amount of time, I went from 20 over 2400 in my right in my left eye to counting three feet in front of me fingers. So. Mm-hmm. So that was a considerable amount of of um, vision that I lost, and I said if I did lose it, I would just go and get a guide dog because I was a cane user for like 20 years. And I said, well, I and I applied to get my first guide dog from um, Guide Dogs for the Blind in Oregon, and they flew me out from Cleveland, and they they flew me out, and I was able to have. Um, be matched like 24 hours after I arrived and I mean it was the longest hour I had to wait to find out what my dog was going to be oh and I because you don't know what kind of dog you're going to get and right. I have requested a go to retriever uh-huh. well I wound up getting this beautiful yellow Labrador instead oh but Labradors are so beautiful too yeah yeah and his name is Bono like after Bono from Bono from YouTube oh that's so cool I love it and I didn't name him. He he came with a name, and 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 as a graduation present, the puppy raisers gave me a copy of the Joshua Tree. Oh wow! Which I already had. Uh huh. <laughs> hey. So I didn't mind it. I mean, they're they're great people, and he's seven now. Mm-hmm. So we'll be celebrating our six year anniversary in um, July, and oh. then he'll be he'll be eight on Christmas. So another year and a half. Mm-hmm. Then he'll be evaluated to see if he needs to retire because he'll be older. And um, so I have means, o- you can't keep the dog for life. Yes, yes. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have okay. him. After the first year, they want to see if you bond with the dog. So for uh, the first year, you know, they want to make sure that you guys can bond. Mm-hmm. And then if if it works out after the health visit from the vet. And then coming out to assess your work with with the dog, you can apply to get ownership of your dog, 
And then um, they'll let you know. And then I got a yes. And I have ownership of Bono. And so, like, because I live um, in an apartment that's based off my income, um, he's not, he doesn't get charged. I don't have to pay money for him to be here. Um, like, you would pay a pet fee. Right. And their pet fee would be, like, $200. Yet, um, once he becomes, once he becomes retired, he'll no longer be a working guide dog. He'll just be a regular dog after that. And I just send his harness back and leash, and then I'll apply to get another dog. I and see. And then I just got to wait. I got to do the interview again, and then I got to do the phone interview, and then I got to do the the interview to see, you know, uh, with the trainer. And they have, like, a harness, and they do a Juno walk without a dog. They'll pretend to be the dog and all that. And see how far you can you can go and all that type of stuff. And then after that, um, they'll recommend you to go to to the school and everything. And then you wait a couple weeks, and then um, you know they'll let you know. And then they'll ask you like what what month would be good for you because you'll be gone for two weeks. Oh, I see. And they pay for everything, so your flight and everything, round trip, flight, food, shelter, awesome. all that. And awesome. they have a sous chef, so they go get about your dietary needs. Oh, and wow. So I got to have build my own sandwiches. and That's so cool. And, and um, I actually, um, for the first time, I had, um, what do you call it, a gyro, because I had never had one. And my mother used to eat them when she was alive, but I never did because I don't eat lamb meat. Mm-hmm. So, and I tried lamb once, and it tasted like dried roast beef, and it made me sick uh-huh. the way the way it was cooked. Someone used a rotisserie, mm-hmm. and it was bad. I was like, oh my god, I could never. And it was a small piece, and well, me and the bathroom were friends. Oh no, months. I'm sorry to hear that. Yes, and yeah. so I haven't eaten lamb since. And then when I think about it, it reminds me that lamb and silence of the lambs. <laughs> and I just start bawling like, uh, no, oh, no, 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 no. Just like I don't eat deer either. And I, that reminds me of Bambi. Like, no. Well, then the Mediterranean diet's pretty good for you because it's not very dairy heavy. I mean, we do a lot of lamb, but it sounds like you just had a bad batch or Sometimes when you slow cook meat, it increases the amount of histamine, which can cause reactions in people. Right. So um, it, it could be the cooking method as much as the actual meat itself. So Right, because I yeah. didn't eat it after that. I was like, nope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I tried I, it. I didn't. Mm. I don't blame you. And um, But I love chicken and fish and turkey. I mean, I do love beef, too, but I eat it very once in a while. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I said, I, I, um, I enjoyed the chef. Her name was Catherine and she actually made us lunch to take back on the plane with us and breakfast. And we had, we had banana bread. I mean, it was homemade banana bread. So much better than anything on the plane. That's fantastic. And, and fruit and all kinds of stuff. And, we, I had my sandwich and chips and something to drink and mm-hmm. 
Oh my, it was just so amazing. I was just like, why? I mean, because you don't get that anywhere else. No, it's all. And, and so I made friends while I was there. We went to the mall with the dogs and our last little trip before graduation. And I went and got stuff because they have no taxes over there in Oregon. And so I went and went to build a bear and got a bear build. And it was, it was, it was a nice little trip for two weeks and I brought him home and, and then getting adjusted with him and making sure that family members knew that he was not to bond with them, but with me mm-hmm. and things of that nature. But overall, you know, my aunt was like, well, when you retire him, if you get another dog, you're giving them to me. <laughs> I was like, because you can't just give him back to his puppy raisers. And I'm like, Aww. you know, I mean, I love my guy dog to death. He's, he's amazing. And, and he gets me out of, I mean, they're trained to, for any type of weather condition, any type of um, area, whether it's the country, mm-hmm. you know, um, they, they're trained for no sidewalks. That's um, amazing. And, and, and they're trained to be able to uh, relieve themselves in any type of situation that's, you know, mm-hmm. for their surroundings. Um I'm so glad you have this guide dog. That's fantastic. Yeah, so so he's my first guide dog and, and when I do retire him, he'll be my regular regular dog. I mean he's he's probably gonna get used to the fact that he's not gonna be able to work anymore. Mm-hmm. Because he loves working. He loves it. Aww. And, and when I go out the door, if I'm just even going downstairs to check the mail, he'll do that and <laughs> and, and like he'll when I'm cooking, he'll peep his head in the kitchen. Because I live in an efficiency, so he'll he'll peep his head in and be thinking I'm going to drop a tomato or or I'm going to drop a a, a a pea or something or you know something's going to fall on the floor for him to eat. Mm-hmm. so um, yeah, but he he knows not to come fully into the kitchen. I mean, because my apartment's only so big, but it's just the point that he he likes watching me cook. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and he probably likes, you know, any leftovers, too, I'm sure. <laughs> well, I don't really give him table food because his stomach's sensitive. When he was a baby, he accidentally um, <laughs> ate um, one of the puppy raisers' underwear. Oh, no! They, they had left them on the floor and forgot about them. And they wanted oh, him to take them out the home, put them, you know, they had to, to take the underwear out of his tummy. And he had he has a scar still. It's just crazy! Oh my gosh! Well, they, I mean, they felt bad because they they didn't know. That, I guess they forgot that their underwear was there. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, I was like, "You crazy dog!" And, but I will mm-hmm. say this: he's very. He doesn't bark. He doesn't growl. He's only growled at two people the entire time I've had him. One was because my aunt yelled at me. And then the other one was because it was my friend's cousin, and neither one of us never met her before, but there was something about her that he did not like. So Just dogs pick up on things. Who knows? Yeah, and so my friend was like, oh, wow. Right. um, So, but he's only barked twice, and that's because my cousin's and my aunt's dog was – uh, a puppy and they were playing and he likes to play but not not all like that he's more mellow like after less than two minutes he's done <laughs> uh-huh and so he 
uh, barks twice to let let him know stop. And he has this deep bark, but that's the only time he's ever barked. He doesn't. He's not trained to um, be a, an attack dog or a guard dog. It's mostly for traveling purposes. I see. So, so when I go on the bus or a train or a boat or a plane, like where they the 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 lower part of the seat where you can put your your bag at, if you don't want to put it, that's where they go. Oh. So you take off their harness and they just scoot underneath that. Oh, I see. Yes. And that's where they go. And now, now because of the whole pet thing, now we have to like make sure that we have papers signed by a vet, and I gotta fill out papers or have people help me fill up and fill them out because I can't fill them out. Mm-hmm. And I gotta be at the airport before my flight, an hour before, and to take care of that, and then let them see my guide dog. To make sure it's, I mean, they can't ask you about your disability because that's illegal, but, you know, they would just want to make sure that, you know, he's who he is. Right. <laughs> because a lot of people have been doing that, you know, impersonating service animals, and there's a difference between a guide dog and a service animal. Mm-hmm. And so now they've outlawed rabbits, birds, um, iguanas, cats that you could take on the plane because people were just doing that saying that that was their service animal. Oh you know, gosh. Wait, how most can an, wait, wait, wait. How could an iguana be a service animal? <laughs> I, be I, so think, I think what it is is because they probably have some form of anxiety oh. or PTSD oh. or something and so okay. that the animal helps them. Ah, okay. That, but, that's a whole nother level. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Um, uh, but the problem is, is that technically people are just going and there was no documentation. Mm-hmm. And see, a lot of the service animals that I've seen, you know, they're emotional support, but they're more like a pet. Right. Than anything else. It's not like they're helping you with your seizures or they're helping you with your diabetes or they're helping you if you had a heart attack or they're helping you like turn something. Mm-hmm. Like a knob or, you know, because there are animals that are trained to do that if you can't do those things. Right. And But that's totally different. It's a school that they're going to in order to get this training. Most of these people are going and they're just getting a dog or a, some type of animal and saying that. And there's no documentation. And that's why they're trying to stop that. I see. Because, because people are going into stores with their pet dogs and passing them off as service animals now mind you i have a harness that comes from the school for which my dog was bred born raised trained and issued to me mm-hmm. so there's a big difference uh i actually have papers and all that saying this is where he comes from and you can tell that he's a trained guide dog right the rest of these dogs are not mm-hmm. and so big difference it is a big difference, but it's also starting to become a problem for the real people that have the real unfortunate. <laughs> I, I hate that the people always find loopholes to take advantage of the system like this and ruin it for the rest of you know the, the legitimate people that need these services. It's just such a bummer that even with this, you know. Oh, they're doing, but they're also doing it with the Social Security um, issue too. And I guess 
supposedly Trump has made it to where now they have to start weaning off the people that said that they were mentally, you know, like some people they will go into the Social Security building, dress up and say that there's something wrong with them to get attacked. And Trump is trying to stop that or? Yeah, yeah, like uh, there was a report a couple weeks ago that said that he signed in the law that this has to happen because people were pretending to be disabled uh, to get money. So he figured that out, huh? Yeah, well, I mean, it, but some of it is kind of obvious, mm-hmm. especially if the person comes up and admits that they did it. Right. You know, and I said, well, if you're not willing to get off your butt and work, you know how many people want to work? Dude, I want to work. And I know. I can't, I can't work because, not because I don't have the education, right. but because it's a, for some, some people it's a liability issue. They think that, you know, they have to put money into the technology I would need to be able to do the job, depending on what the job was, and they don't want to spend that money. Right. So at the end of the day, it's like, okay, if you're totally blind and you have really good computer skills, then you're going to work. If you're visually impaired and you have some skills, they they want you to have so much experience. But how are you supposed to get experience if no one was willing to hire you? So. So I, I was like, there are people that are disabled that are working, but there's a lot of them that aren't working. And like there's 70% of the disabled population in the U.S. that are unemployed and 34% of those people are blind or visually impaired. Mm-hmm. So it's like it might be 3.5% unemployment rate right now, but how many of those people are making 50K or above? You know, a lot of them are the, the jobs, the level entry jobs. Right. Uh, your fast food, your telemarketing, all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And retail, those types of jobs. I don't see teacher increase. I don't see lawyer increase or, I mean, okay, if you have medicine, you know, nursing and that, that's, you know, coding and billing, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. IT, you know, but not everyone is, is a computer geek. So, right. so it, it's very hard. It is because I, I have my, I can teach English to business people and young learners, but I've applied internationally and domestically and have gotten turned down. Wow. So it's just like, okay, I need to do something with my time. Yeah. <laughs> so, you have so many talents though. Like I, I know that like whatever, whatever you decide to do, you're just going to take it to, you're going to just take it to the stars because you, you're just enormously talented and knowledgeable in so many different things. I mean, if anything, you should be an ambassador for our country. <laughs> you yeah, know? it's funny you say that because I love politics. But yeah. see, I'm, on, I'm on the side of the people. Yeah, that's the tough part. You know, I love politics, too. And people always told me, why didn't you be a politician? I'm like, because I'm for the people. <laughs> yeah, I'm for the people. I'm not for the politicians. Or the, you know, the, the right. third, I mean, because that's all it is, is lobbyists, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. and it's sad, and, you know, and then I said, well, if you take religion and you take politics out of it, we're all the same. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and 
there's one God and there's like someone said, well, someone asked me this and I got mad at them because I said, you are so ignorant. They said, well, okay, so you're learning Levantine Arabic, so when are you going to Lebanon? And I'm like, not in the near future. I was like, oh, so you think because I'm learning Levantine Arabic that I'm just going to go move to Lebanon? Okay, did it take a rocket scientist to understand there's a war going on right now? <laughs> Hello, them. you know, I want to communicate, eat some good food, meet some great people, but let's hold off on the war zone right now, yeah. Right, I mean, and it's, I mean, it would be great to go to Lebanon. I mean, they have great, have you heard of this chick, her name is Haithalib? No, haven't. She's a Lebanese um, singer. Oh, yeah, H-A-I-F-A-W-E-H-B. Oh, hey, yeah, oh, absolutely. She's, yeah, she's, she's very popular. She's in, she's like, she's beautiful too. She's like the, I don't know if they're fake, the color of her eyes, but she's known for having like the jet black hair and the, the big blue eyes. And she, um, she my, even my kids love her music. You know, my kids. Yeah, because I have some of her songs. Mm hmm because I was trying to find somebody in my own age range. Yeah, she's so listen, she she looks amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, because I I found her on YouTube too. I was like, ooh, and I found her on SoundCloud, and I'm like, yeah, these I love these singers are like frozen in time, like they don't age. They're just <laughs> yeah, and it it was kind of fun. I forgot who what chick I was following, but her sister got married and. They had the ceremony, and um, I forgot what the name of the ceremony was called, but they had an engagement party, and it wasn't your typical engagement party. Like, the entire family was there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, I, I forgot what it was called, but it was kind of cool because, like, she went for – she was about to graduate college, and she went to it and because she was in it, I think. Mm-hmm. And then she did, they did the wet, they showed like the bridal bouquet and that they had chocolate in it. And then she had this headpiece she had to wear. And yeah, they have a lot of cultural um, traditions for sure. Chanel, I'm so sorry, but I have to, in a, in a half an hour, I have to be at, um, I have to be at a, a planning meeting for cooking classes that I'm going to be giving in the springtime, which I'm excited. Oh, okay. I wish you were here so that you could come to the cooking classes. You'd get a kick out of it. Um, but, yeah, I, I have to go to this planning meeting pretty soon. Okay. I, time just flew by. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh, my yes. gosh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Time flies when you're having fun with someone, you know. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. It, your stories are so fascinating. Oh, thank you. Uh, just to let you know, I probably will be giving you a recording of this. Now, I don't do any editing, so it's like pretty much like the conversation we're having. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I pretty much let people listen because it's like, okay, you edit this and you. Yeah, you know, with podcasts, when I'm into a podcast, I listen to it beginning to end. Like, I, I actually I do my chores or I'm driving. And I'm just listening to it. It's like my new TV, you know. Like, I don't watch TV. Uh, and I'm all about learning through podcasts. It's my favorite medium for information. Oh, so. yeah, because I, I, I have so many different podcasts. Like, I mean, nowadays you don't even need to watch the show. You can freaking, like, listen to the podcast. Right. 
of the show that you like to watch on TV. I mean, because I don't, I have the internet. I don't have cable anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, but I'm a big movie person, so I have Hulu and Disney Plus, and and um, you know, I'm I listen to the stuff in other languages, and mm-hmm. like if it's in French, I'll do French audio with Italian subtitles, and right. Oh gosh, yeah, that's a great way to learn languages too. Yeah, and especially if it's Arabic. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll do the Arabic subtitles, even though I know it's probably MSA. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'll still do it and have voiceover read it to me, and then I'll have it in the Arabic voiceover voice so I can listen to it. And yeah, but other, because I'm not, if I already seen the show, I already know what's gonna happen anyway. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that helps. But. Yeah, I I kind of do the same thing with movies too and TV shows. Yeah, that's that it's great. I mean, it's, it's especially good, like you said, if you've seen it before and you know what the outcome is. It even helps you understand the different language better. So, oh yes. Yeah. So do you? Uh, do you have any plans for um um the the uh, the rest of the year, like as far as other projects? Yeah, you know, good question. I am trying to do a partnership with the spice company to bring Middle Eastern spices to the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that people, that, that's one thing that's on my agenda that I really want to flesh out. And really just, I want to see if I can, uh, it's been unfortunate with, with the cookbook is that I didn't realize that Amazon takes such a huge chunk from the authors. I mean, that's why Jeff Bezos is so wealthy. He has been uh, shaving off so much of my books through Amazon that I only get a dollar fifty a book, so I don't know if I'd be able to to afford to print another run. So I keep directing people to my actual website so that I could afford to do a second run of my cookbook. So, wow! You know yeah. what? It's so funny because um, Ollie Richards of IWillTeachYouALanguage.com he self publishes his own stuff. Mm-hmm. He does do it um, through them. Like, I mean, he, he'll, he'll have his, his Kindle books and his audio books and his, you know, he has to actually charge more for like his audio book, like $15 right. for the actual book. And then like $8 for the ebook. And, um, in order to put them out, in order for him to make a little bit of something, cause it's awful. Right. Yeah, so, so I'm trying to see if I can do some book signings around the country. I'll see if I can manage to do that. Would be cool. Uh, so yeah, just I'm I'm going to be doing a whole other uh, series of, of videos, hopefully with my mom. My mom is kind of under the weather lately, uh, but yeah, turning out more videos. I'm I'm vlogging a lot more. I'm writing for several periodicals like Arab America uh, bi-monthly. So Mm -hmm. people will be able to see my work on Arab America as well as uh, a lot of television appearances. As a matter of fact, today uh, I scheduled a video to be put out of my uh, recent stint on Fox News locally. So I'm hoping to just get out in the media circuit more and spread, spread the knowledge about this awesome food and, you know, get it on people's radars. And show them that it's not as hard as they thought it was to recreate some of their favorite dishes in a Middle Eastern restaurant. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, it really isn't. It's not. You know. I mean, hey, you can do it. A lot of people have been shocking themselves that they could do it, too. And I think it's a beautiful thing. Well, shukran afran sabe. 
Uh, yeah, you said Afwan. I love how you said Shukran. It's my pleasure, and I, I really enjoyed talking to you and, and learning more about you, Chanel. You, I really admire you. You're unbelievable. You're amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, so thank you for having me on your show. I'm honored. Oh, well, thank you for being my first guest. Because I, uh, I, 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 I plan on, like, having more people. You know, I'm thinking, okay, well, having Blanche on would be awesome. I mean, she has a, a ton of people that follow her. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, this would be a great kickoff. I mean, it gives her exposure. It gives me some exposure. Mm-hmm. On this podcast, because my other podcast, I have, like, 11.3K listeners in 98 countries right now. That's amazing. So and then I haven't even done two years yet, but I've interviewed language people and I've, you know, had reports with people in the language learning community. So I'm popular over there. But I was like, you know, I want to be popular in the food world, too. Yeah. I mean, if I can get people like Paula Dean and Gordon Ramsay and. Right. That would, oh. You never know. Don't yeah. say never. You never know. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, well, thank so, you so much. Thank you, thank you, and and it's nice to have Feast in the Middle East as a, your first guest. So uh, it may it that this will be a podcast I'll remember as well. Thank um, what, for everyone out here, um, where can they reach you if they want to find more? Yeah, information? So, yeah, they, they can reach out to me at uh, feastinthemiddleeast.com or they could go to YouTube.com/slash Blanche TV B L A N C H E TV. Um, they could communicate with me that way, too. Okay. Well, shukran. Shukran, Habibti. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Take care, Chanel. Thanks again. You, you too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.